Good morning and Happy New Year. Mary and I wish that we could be there with you today. I, I hate being home. Um, just want to let you know we are healthy. We do not have COVID, but we are being safe. We want to protect all of you. And I also have to admit that I hate talking to my iPhone. But here goes. I hope you get something out of this message. You know, it's been over uh, a week since Christmas, and it reminds me of the only thing that I truly don't like about Christmas. You see, we prepare and we wait, and then we prepare some more and we wait some more, and then Christmas is over in the, the blink of an eye. Here at Bethesda, so many wonderful things have happened over the past few weeks. We had the teen Christmas play, the Advent Tea, the Young at Heart Dinner, the Ladies Fellowship, Lunch, the Preschool Program. We did a program called Christmas in Song and Scripture. And then we had a wonderful Christmas Eve service. And I apologize if I've missed any of the other things that have gone on here at Bethesda. But I think we would all agree that Christmas at Bethesda this year was certainly a blessing. And, and this year for the Stalin household was great as well. We spent time with family. We spent a lot of time with family. We did have a little sickness, and that altered some plans, but still, it was good. It was a very good. And all that joy and all that celebrating make me a little sadder that the whole season went by so quickly. But with, with Christmas still in our hearts, I've got a question for us this morning. It's not a question that you might expect, but here it is. What is the worst Christmas gift that you have ever received? Think about it for a minute. I know if I was there, I could probably see some smiles, but what was the worst Christmas gift you ever received? And while you think about it, let me ask you that this. When that happened, how, how did you respond? Um, did you force a smile and say something like this? You know, gee, that was something I never knew I wanted. Or did you say, that's interesting? Or um, uh, thank you. Did your face give away shock or disappointment? I found a few bad Christmas gifts online. I wanted to share those with you this morning. The first one was an ornament someone received with the name Eric on it. The person who received it was not named Eric. In fact, they didn't know anybody named Eric. Or I really like this one, a spam calendar. It had 12 months with pictures of spam. It was given to a 14-year-old girl. And the truth is, is I've got a friend, I think, who would really like that gift. Or how about this one, a dish towel that was given to an eight-year-old girl. Now that might be a hint to help wash and dry the dishes for mom and dad. Or a ceramic dog treat jar that was given to a child by his parents. The only problem was the family gave away the dog a week before Christmas. Someone wrote, my cousin once gave me an autographed picture of himself. I guess that guy had a little bit of a pride problem. Here's one I got from our church staff. They said, a candle with a really bad scent. I wonder, was the scent maybe owed to B.O.? 
our roadkill rendezvous, our, gee honey, I forgot to flush the toilet. Probably the worst Christmas gift I've ever heard from heard about comes from the movie, The Christmas Story. It's when Ralphie got the pink bunny onesie. Now I do admit my worst Christmas gift came when I was 16 years old and it's a story I've shared before. You see, my grandparents gave me a sled, a flexible flyer sled. I was 16. I was about a month away from getting my driver's license and I thought to myself, why would a 16-year-old want a sled? It's a kid's toy. And I remember trying to keep a smile on my face because after all, it was my grandparents who gave it to me. I wanted to give some sort of positive response. Funny thing is, is that sled turned out to be one of the very best Christmas presents I ever received. It might have been a kid's toy, but if you know me, you know that I have always been a kid at heart. That sled was used on Art Hill and other hills for years till it finally fell apart. 2,000 years ago, in the town of Bethlehem, God gave a gift to the world. It was a desperately needed gift. It was a, a gift to restore our relationship with, to God. It was a gift that takes away the punishment of our sins. The gift was Jesus Christ. And certainly we would expect such an amazing gift to be responded with great joy by all the people. Because after all, Jesus did come to save us. He came to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And yet as we read or we heard Amber read in Matthew just a few minutes ago, not everyone responded positively. And it just goes to show that some things never change. There are still those who are not joyful with the gift of Jesus. They would rather continue to live in darkness than trust in God. They choose to live life on their own terms without the love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers them. In Matthew 2, we see several responses to the gift of Jesus. And as we look at the first 12 verses of that passage, I want you to do something. I want you to put yourself into the story. Imagine yourself as one of the characters or maybe just an observer in the narrative. What would you be thinking? How would you have responded? When Jesus was born, some responded with fear and hatred. Fear and hatred combined to be the first response that we see to Jesus. Verse 2 of our reading says that when the Magi came to Herod the Great, asking about the one born, the king of the Jews, Herod was greatly disturbed. In fact, if you read further on in Matthew, you discover that Herod would later be described as furious. And you have to wonder why Herod, a mighty king, would be so afraid of a baby that was born off the beaten path, a baby who was thought by many to be the illegitimate son of a young peasant girl and a carpenter. We wonder why would a king be so bothered by a defenseless baby? Well, once you begin to know a little bit about 
Herod's paranoia, you start to understand. Herod was a half-breed. He was only part Jewish. And a king of Jewish descent like Jesus would have a greater claim on the throne among the Jewish people than Herod did. Combine this with the great interest in the child shown by the Magi. These men were learned men. They traveled a great distance. And you see, you put that together and you have all that was needed to, to incite Herod's rage. Now, Herod did have a good side. He was a renowned builder of, of cities and was the lavish rebuilder of the temple in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, though, Herod's dark side dominated his personality. He had ordered the death of his favorite wife and her mother because he believed that they were plotting against him. He also had several of his sons, sons executed out of paranoia. It was said of Herod it was better to be born a pig than to be born Herod's son. You know, so being Herod's fave, his favorite, wasn't a good thing. Herod was crafty. Herod was cruel. Uh, shortly before he died, he ordered that a large group of people, a large group of prominent citizens, be put to death at the moment of his own death. You see, Herod believed that this would guarantee that people would have sorrow and tears the day he died. Kind of reminds me of a boss I once had. But before we get too tough on Herod, put yourself in his position. You're the king. You have great power. You have money. You have all these things, and you really like the power, and you really like the money. One day you hear about this new king who is coming. He's just a baby, and yet he's going to take your job, your money, your position, even your wives. Now, most of us, if that might be threatened, we might be concerned, but I mean, a guy who kills his wife and his family members, it's easy to see that this wasn't going to end well. And sadly, it didn't end well for many children. Herod, in his raging, ordered the mass murder of all the boys born two years and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Jesus and his family, unfortunately, already escaped to Egypt. Herod was most definitely an evil man, a very evil man. He made the Grinch and Scrooge seem like saints. The Herods of our own time are those people who respond to Jesus with hatred. They hate Christianity. They hate Christians. They hate everything about Christmas. And it always, isn't always clear what has led to this hatred in their life. Maybe they had a bad experience in church. Or it could be that life was just simply hard for them and it just didn't seem to be fair. Maybe they see all the pain and all the suffering in the world and they can't imagine that there's a good God who is sovereign, who's in control, and who loves them. Whatever the reason, these people are tough. Sharing your faith with them seems to be a waste of time at best, and at worst, you get verbally attacked. I found such people are also very good at the art of argument. And, and we probably all, all know someone like this. It could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could even be a family member. And all I can say is don't give up on these people. Pray for them. Show them the love of Christ.
And in such cases, doing so can often be more powerful than your words. And I know some of you are a master at debate. And so maybe you take these people on. But I want to tell you to be careful. You might win the battle. You might win the argument and still lose the war. No matter what your approach is to such people, we need to remember that you and I don't save people. God does. And those in need of saving need to be willing as well. If you read through Matthew 2 too quickly, you will miss what the passage said about Jerusalem. And it's kind of surprising. The people of Jerusalem seem to be more concerned with how others, namely Herod, would react than they were about their own thoughts. And this is the second response we often see to Jesus. So many let others influence their response. They don't use their own brains. In verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2, just after we were told that Herod is disturbed, we read this. And all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And at first glance, that doesn't make much sense. The people of Jerusalem were waiting for a Messiah. Why didn't they respond with great joy? Their prayers had been answered. But the reason for their concern was obvious. Jerusalem was disturbed about Jesus because Herod was disturbed. And they knew his reputation. A king who would kill members of his own family was definitely someone worth fearing. And there's a saying that many of you have heard, when mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. It's true. It has other corollaries. The mood of one person can cause concern for an entire family. When dad comes home crabby, the mood of the entire house changes. Mama might go on the rampage. She's cleaning and getting the kids taken care of to make sure that nothing sets dad off. The smart kids, they go into hiding. And I know this one probably has never happened, but what if, what if a teenage daughter is in a foul mood? Suddenly the whole house is on edge. Her actions bring the entire house down. Instead of others thinking for us or letting them change our mood, shouldn't we stand strong? If you think about it, there are people today who respond to Jesus just like Jerusalem did. They're more concerned with the opinions of others than they are their own opinions. They tend to just go with the flow. Such people bow down to current popular thought. They're much too worried about what others are going to think. They want to fit in. They're afraid to have an opinion of their own. And, and these people might be very nice people. But the fact is, we don't want to be like them. They may be in line with popular thought, but they are fools. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools. You and I, we're called to be culture makers. We help others see the truth. Speaking of fools, uh, the next group in this passage are the chief priests and teachers of the law. These guys were never at a loss for any type of response to Jesus. When Herod called to question them about the baby Jesus, they expand, responded by exhibiting knowledge of the truth 
but their hardened hearts kept them from action. Their hardened hearts caused them to ghost Jesus. They didn't respond at all. And that's the third response we often see to Jesus. It's no response. The, the priests and the teachers' non-response was really intriguing. In verses 4 and 6 of Matthew 2, we read this. It says, When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ child was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Those chief priests and teachers actually recited prophecy that was found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They were essentially saying this, the prophet of God said Messiah will be born exactly where this child is being born. And at this point, you might have expected them to race straight over to Bethlehem to worship the child. Wouldn't they want to see the fulfillment of God's prophecy? Wouldn't they want to be the first ones in line to worship the child Jesus? Wouldn't they respond to this announcement with joy? Matthew says nothing about such a response. They ghosted Jesus. You know, I once worked with a person who did that. Send this person an email or a text or leave a voicemail and you heard nothing in return. This person wouldn't respond for days and sometimes never at all. And it was frustrating and it was rude. And that's why parents teach their children to say thank you for a gift. That's why we offer daily thanks to people who do things for us. It's why we thank God for all the blessings that he's given us. I mean, think about it. God has given you and I everything. And yet sometimes we ghost God. We don't reply. We don't respond. There's nothing. We're, we're too busy living our lives. Instead, though, we're called to thank God in prayer and song and praise and coming together on Sunday to worship together. We're called to respond to God every single day of our lives. To ghost Jesus, to offer no response to Jesus, is to reject Jesus. You see, when it comes to Jesus, you're either with him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. And that brings us to the Magi. I mean, you've got to love these guys. They are a mysterious group of learned men. And the truth is, they actually weren't kings. Perhaps there were three of them, but there might have been two or four or some other number. Three is the number of traditions since there were three gifts. But the Bible doesn't tell us how many of them there were. They came out of nowhere, only to disappear as quickly. There was an old movie called The Advent, and there the Magi were depicted as having a rather sarcastic, dry sense of humor. At one point, one Magi asked another, he said, How many days have you complained about the length of this journey? The other Magi answered, 105 days. The, the first was surprised. He said, But today is only the 104th day of our journey. Yes but I, I plan to complain tomorrow as well. 
The Magi were searching for the one born King of the Jews. It was a long journey, and they responded to the gift of the Christ child by worshiping him. And that is the fourth and only proper response to Jesus. Worship him. Trust in him. Matthew wrote this, he said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Magi actually could have ended up as Herod's pawns. You see, Herod planned to deceive the Magi into showing him the location of the Christ child so he could kill him. Matthew then completed the Magi's part of the narrative in verses 9 through 12. He wrote, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi may not have known much about this king of the Jews. They may have thought this child was going to be a worldly king, a political power, not a king of creation, not the savior. But we do know the Magi responded by following a star for many miles to a foreign land. They responded in worship to Jesus. They didn't miss the opportunity to bow down and give their gifts. Jesus had become a priority in their lives as they journeyed to Bethlehem. They acted on what they knew. And so I have to ask you, who are you like in this passage? Are you like Herod, the people of Jerusalem, the chief priests and teachers of the law, or the Magi? You know, I know I want to be like the Magi. But I think we all have to admit we have similarities with the other people in this passage. Like Jerusalem, we have all let the opinions of others influence us. We've gone with popular thought when we should have acted on what we knew was right. There have undoubtedly been times when we compromise in order to avoid confrontation. Like the chief priests and teachers of the law, we don't always act on what we know to be true. We too ghost God as we forget about him in our daily living. We don't respond. We don't respond with joy and thanksgiving. And as much as I'm sure we hate to admit it, we at times are also like Herod. We have responded to another person in anger for all the wrong reasons. We let our pride cause us to do wrong. Our ego gets in the way and we sin. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus demands a response. He came to save us from our sins. We either accept his gift of forgiveness or we reject the gift and in so doing, reject Jesus. I want to leave you with one last thought this morning. The Magi came 
they worshiped, they gave gifts, and then they left. Never to be mentioned in the Bible again. We might wonder, what happened to them? Did they forget about Jesus? Did they ever come back to hear him teach? Did they tell others about the Christ child? The gospel writer Matthew doesn't answer. I think the Holy Spirit guided Matthew to leave those questions in our mind. And that's because ultimately the question comes back to you and to me. It's as if Matthew is saying to us, you've heard the story, you write your ending. How will you respond to the Christ child who was born in Bethlehem? I hope you had a great Christmas season, Happy New Year, and I really look forward to seeing everybody sometime during this coming week and certainly next Sunday. Thanks.